Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. All right, welcome to our third episode of Literary Quest. We're super excited. We get to talk about the second half of A Court of Mist and Fury. It's the second half. The first half, we definitely talked a lot about Hamlin and how awful he was. So the second half, we're going to be talking a lot about Reese and how, and how great. Oh, yes. So great. Yes. So great. So um, we're going to start off where I do the character descriptions and then Marissa will go into our plot. We get to see several new places in this half. We meet a few new characters and we also get acquainted with some very powerful and old magical objects, which is exciting. So the first new location we're introduced to is the Summer Court. It's neighboring the Spring Court, and it's made up of four major cities. We only get to see the capital, Adriata. The court is also very wealthy. It has a lot of treasures and jewels that get described in this section. We meet the High Lord of the Summer Court, Tarquin. He's described as having rich brown skin, white hair, and crushing turquoise eyes. We met him under the mountain when his cousin was killed by Reese. So we've already seen him as a character, but never interacted with him. While in the summer court, we also meet Crisada, the princess of Adriata, and Varian, the prince. Crisada is described as having long silver hair and brown cunning eyes. Varian is described as being handsome and broad-shouldered. Varian also is into Amran, which we get to see a little bit later in the book. We also officially meet Jurian and the King of Hybern. We had a lot of references to them throughout the first and second um, first and second book, but we now have physical descriptions. So Jurian is described as being tall and handsome with dark brown hair, cruel calculating brown eyes, and tan skin. The King of Hybern is described as blandly handsome, depthless, <laughs> hateful black eyes. It is noted that he would be in his mid-40s if he was human. We also meet the mortal queens. They're awful. There are (laughs) supposed to be six of them. We only meet five because the sixth queen is ill. They have half of the Book of Breathing, uh, which is part of the relic that's required to destroy the cauldron. They do not want to share. So they are an issue in this. Hateful. Hateful, hateful queens. Mm-hmm. We learn about Miriam in this book. She was Jurian's obsession during the war. She was half fae and half human. She was kept as a slave, and due to being half mortal, she was denied her fae heritage. When she was older, she was given as a gift to the fae king Dracon. He was like, oh, this is uncool you can escape. I won't try to find you. So she runs away, meets Jurian. They become a couple. But as we know, Jurian kind of goes crazy with bloodlust. And Miriam and Dracon meet up again. This time they fall in love. She leaves Jurian. And we know the rest of the story. He gets kidnapped by Amarantha, tortured and killed. And Miriam and Dracon are assumed to be dead. 
So in terms of other places that we get to see, we get to visit Hewn City in the Court of Nightmares. Marissa explained it in the last podcast, so I'm not going to say much more, but they did actually go there in this section, and Farrah describes it as a place of such terrible beauty that it was an effort to keep the wonder and dread off of my face. We also go to Highburn in this book. It's an island kingdom that's west of Prithian. It's described as having bone-white cliffs that lead to sloping barren hills and giving the impression of an overwhelming sense of nothingness. So the two magical objects we're given more information on, the first is a cauldron. It's very powerful, and according to the bone carver, all magic is contained inside of it. The world was born in it. It's described as being the size of a bathtub made of dark iron with three legs. It's also described as being hideous and alluring, both absence and presence. The other magical object is the Book of Breathing. As we know, this has the potential to nullify the cauldron's magic. Naturally, this is what our main characters are searching for. Inside the book, there are many spells, but it also has ancient history that could reveal secrets. It was split into two halves as part of the treaty. One half was kept in Prithian, and the other half was given to the mortal queens. One half is described as being cunning, and the other side as chaos. The two sides aren't supposed to meet. You know how it's going to (laughs) go. It is written in the holy tongue, and Amran is the only one who can hope to decipher it. So those are our new characters, places, and objects. Marissa, tell us about the plot. So in the second half of our book, we pick up with Reese, Thera, and Amran as they head to see the High Lord of the Summer Court, Tarquin, and Adriata under the guise of diplomatic relationship or relations. But their real intention is to find and steal back the Fae part of the Book of Breathings so that both halves can be used to fight the threat in hybrid. While they're there, they are charmed by Tarquin and his kindness and his openness. In the course of their first visit, Tarquin declares that he would like to break down the barriers that are separating the high faith from the lower castes, ridding the world of the discrimination that many of the lower castes face because of where the, the place or the standing that they're born into, which really resonates both with Reese and with Feyre, especially with Feyre, because she's been the victim of, of that transition in class from going to, from having money to not having any money. And so Reese and Feyre both find themselves feeling really guilty about stealing the book and are uncomfortable with the idea of deceiving Tarquin and the kindness that he has shown them during their visit. With Feyre's proximity to Tarquin in the summer court, she becomes aware of the power that he has shared with her when when she was killed by Amarantha. And so she begins to develop her skills using it to shape and manipulate water. While they're there, they discover where the book is hidden and Feyre and Amarin nearly die in the process of finding and escaping with it. Once they've obtained it, they winnow back to Valeris and Amarin begins to decode the book. In the weeks that follow, they're notified that the mortal queens who they petitioned in the first book, in the first half of the book to meet with, have agreed to meet with them and they're awful. Uh, Reese, Feyre, and Moore explain the situation with Highburn and the threat to the mortals, especially those below the wall in Prithian, and they beg for the uh, Fae Queen portion of the 
book of breathings do you return to them and they discover that the mortal queens or not fake queens the mortal queens we discover that the mortal queens actually had no intention of helping the humans in Prithian at all um, and they're basically abandoning them and before they're even going to consider offering their part of the book they demand some proof that Reese is a man of peace and of honesty and so Reese formulates a plan to use the veritas which is an orb that shows the truth and is a relic of Moore's family to reveal Valeris to them, the city that they have guarded for 5,000 years. That's been a secret that Reese has given up everything to protect. And so to obtain the Veritas orb, Reese, Feyre, Moore, Cassian, and Asriel go to the court of nightmares and must steal it from Moore's father. And while they're there we come to understand the cruelty of the court of nightmares and we learn why more hates the court of nightmares so greatly the orb is obtained and in the aftermath of the dealings with the court of, night of nightmares reese and Feyre have conflict as Feyre struggles to reconcile her feelings for reese with feeling like she's betraying tamlin even though he's done all of these awful things to her Valeris celebrates Starfall or Ninsar, which is one of their special holidays. And it's especially important for them this year because it's the first that Reese has been able to celebrate with his chosen family uh, in, in 50 years because he was trapped under the mountain with Amarantha. Afterwards, Feyre, Reese, Moore, and Cassian go to one of the Illyrian camps where Reese and Feyre begin to train her powers. One day while they're training in the woods, Lucian and a small group of sentries discover them and Lucian attempts to convince Feyre to return to Tamlin in the spring court, but she refuses and he attempts to entrap her and winnow away with her and she's able to save herself and in a spectacular display of shape-shifting is able to manifest her own set of Illyrian wings and talons and Lucian reluctantly leaves. The next day, while Reese is flying them to their next location, he is shot out of the sky by poisoned ash arrows. And as they fall from the sky, they're separated. Feyre tracks him and discovers that he's been captured and is being tortured by Highburn's soldiers. And so she rescues him, but he's been poisoned, so he's not doing well. And in an effort to discover what she has to do to help him, she ensnares the Surreal again to learn how to save him. And not only does the Surreal reveal the cure to the poison, but he also reveals that Reese is Feyre's mate. Feyre is shocked and furious, and she feels like she's been deceived and betrayed. And she, so she goes to save Reese, and is, she's confronting him while she's trying to save his life. And he confirms that he's known that they were mates since their last interaction at the mountain before she and Tamlin left to return to the spring court. They went back to the Illyrian camp and she begs more to take her away, leaving Reese injured in the mud. Moore takes Feyre to a cabin in the mountains where Feyre is able to process her feelings. And in that time, she begins to paint again and she covers every workable surface with her art she comes to realize that she loves Reese and that their bond feels right and that everything that he's done has been to protect and support her. And so after five days, when she decides she's ready to talk to him again, he shows up at the door to the cabin 
and he lays himself bare to her. Feyre claims Reese as her mate, and their bond solidifies, and they finally consummate their relationship a lot. And then they return to Valeris and go almost immediately to the human realm to meet with the mortal queens. They show the queens the existence of Valeris and the Veritas orb, but the queens have a really disappointing response. So they claim that they are doubtful of the honesty of Feyre and Reese's relationship. They claim that they could be manipulating them. Um, and they state that they'll need time to decide if they want to give them the book. And so they leave quickly, but in their wake, one of the queens has discreetly left the Book of Breathings under her chair, leaving a note in the book revealing that the queens are treacherous and, treacherous and not to trust them, but also that she believes in the honesty of Farah and Reese, and she wants to work toward a better world. Our friends return to Valeris, and in the days that follow, Valeris is attacked by a force of hybrid soldiers and adder-like monsters, which indicates that they've been betrayed by the mortal queens to hybrid. And Farah, in a display of ferocious skill, manipulates water into the shape of wolves to attack the force of hybrid soldiers while defending the rainbow, the district for artists, and the district that's closest to her heart. In the wake of the attack on Valeris, the Court of Dreams form a plan to infiltrate Hybern and use the Book of Breathings to destroy the cauldron before the war can begin. However, once they arrive on Hybern, things go awry. The Court of Dreams is endangered, and they discover that Tamlin has made a foolish bargain with the King of Hybern in a desperate attempt to bring Feyre back to the Spring Court. And Feyre's sisters become collateral damage in the Ianthe's attempts to gain power. So that's without revealing too many spoilers, the second half of our book. And it's a wild ride. And you want to jump into the third book almost as soon as you have finished the second book. It's so great. That was our character description and our brief plot description. Everything from here on out is going to be just full of spoilers. So if you haven't read the book and you want to and you don't want spoilers, you might wait to listen to the rest of this. Or if, like me, you don't like surprises and you want to know what's going to happen, keep listening. So. Uh, this was the book where I sit up all night for. <laughs> and I have a text that I sent you, Marissa, that was, Marissa, I sit up all night. It is daylight <laughs> out. <laughs> daylight. Yes. And, I didn't, and then I read the third one the next yeah. day. I yeah. Didn't stop. It's, it's that. It's so good. Oh. It's One of the things that Sarah Mass is so great at is character development. She, and it's in all of her books too. So she does great character development in this book or in this series. She does great character, such great character development in Throne of Glass. Like it is, she's just so good mm-hmm. at writing these characters. And then you love them. Like they just get right in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> and when bad things happen to them, it, breaks your heart makes you like I feel I feel things when I read about these characters Hmm. all right so when we're in the summer court one of the first things we see is Farah being kind of diplomatic and interacting with the summer court and she manages to mimic Reese 
like you know how he acts really nonchalant all the time mm-hmm. brushing lint off himself sort of yes. thing and she's so careful about choosing her words so she's picked up on everything so mm-hmm. quickly i mean this takes place in the span of what less than a year at this point yeah right mm-hmm. so she's picked up so quickly and tarquin asks her to compare the lands that she's seen mm-hmm. right trying to get like i don't know cry a little bit mm-hmm. and she just says oh well everything is Prithian in Prithian is lovely compared to the mortal realm mm-hmm. right? she also spends a lot of her time like gently complimenting well you know what I guess she gets a little bit more aggressive about it I guess yes <laughs> Later she, on. Does. she gets a little flirty <laughs> yes so yeah but she compliments him sort of thing to charm her way but it's not like a burden. At first, she's not really enjoying herself, but they talk about how just charming and kind and refreshing Tarquin is. So we're told that he's young for being a High Lord. His cousin, I think, mm-hmm. was it his cousin that was the High Lord before and was killed by Amarantha? Yeah. Well, technically, Reese killed him, but yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, but... We t- they talk about how young he is. And so because of that, he's not guarded or like aloof appearing or seeming or kind of distant and more cautious with his wording like the older high lords are. He's just very like honest and they find it really refreshing. Yeah, I love him. I wish they could have stayed friends. And yeah. Because he is, he wants people to be equal and everything Mm -hmm. and he actually picks up on he thinks that Reese was just having like it was an act when Mm -hmm. he was playing Amarantha's um friend and so he picks up on that and then one of my favorite things is that Farah says to him I'm thinking it would be very easy to love you and easier to call you my friend and I just think that's really sweet for herself. And mm-hmm. it's an honest moment too, because yes. they connect and everything. Mm-hmm. He's just, I want them to all be friends. He's just terrible. Mm-hmm. Like he's so kind to them. Reese says like, I want to be his friend, which uh, this must be, I, it's hard for all of them, I'm sure. But for Reese who has, I mean, his circle of friends is pretty limited. And so for him to encounter people who don't automatically hate him for what they think he must be like for people who are kind to him and friendly it must be so hard for him to have to portray the cold cruel aloof high lord of the court of nightmares because he wants people like he wants friends too there's this cute moment in between reese and farah when they're in the summer court where they're talking to each other and they're sort of having confrontation about the other one being jealous. So Reese had been flirting with Cressida and Farah had been flirting with Tarquin and they're both like, oh, you were jealous to each other. And of course, Farah denies it. Reese is more open sort of about it because he does admit that it got under her or under his skin that she smiled at him, at Tarquin, because he hasn't really seen her smile too much. So that got to him. 
And then he also said that he heard what she told him about how it would be easy to fall in love with him. And he says to her, well, you meant it. And he says that he's jealous because he's not that person. He says things will always be easy for Tarquin. He will never know what it is, uh, what it is to look up at the night sky and wish. So this is one of the first times we hear the quote, to the stars who listen and the dreams that are answered. It's a recurring quote in the book. It happens again in the third book. And her and Reese toast to that. And Mm -hmm. it's just this cute moment where they're connecting and they're getting closer to admitting their feelings. Well, I don't think Reese is ever not. No, Reese, I feel like is pretty open and very flirtatious from the beginning with Feyre. It's just that she's not, she either doesn't have the bandwidth or is definitely at this point not willing to admit that she might even have any feelings toward Reese Reese um because she feels guilty about everything that she feels about him at this point yeah so that's one of the cute little moments in the summer court that I like so another great moment in the summer court is when they break into the temple that has half of the book and we get to see how much Feyre has grown. So obviously things go a bit wrong while she's trying to get the book. They get trapped, the water starts coming in and she freaks out, but she doesn't panic the way that she has before. Like when she was dealing with the weaver, you know, she just completely freaked out or when she forgot, was attacked by the adder and forgot how strong she was. Here she manages, she grabs Amran and is like carrying Amran up to try to get out. Mm-hmm. And well, she doesn't save them in this one. The water wraiths show up and are like, mm-hmm. I got you. Mm-hmm. She does manage to not completely freeze like mm-hmm. she's done in the past. So we see this development of her getting better at controlling herself, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool to see and goes along with uh, Mass's character development. What I like in that scene, and this goes back to the point that you've made before with being a person who's made having a, a mortal heart and an immortal body, when they're rescued by the water wraiths who are repaying the debt to Feyre for when she gave a water wraith her jewelry to pay the tithe in the spring court to Tamlin, they show up to save the day to repay that that debt. And Amran says only an immortal with a mortal heart would give one of those horrible beasts the money uh, to pay the tithe, which I think, again, that goes to the idea that having a mortal heart, being mortal is not a weakness because look at how it's paid off. You know, they, they talk about it being luck, but if Feyre hadn't had that compassion that she developed as a mortal person who was starved and had to fight for everything, they, the water race wouldn't have appeared. They would have died. So having an immortal, having a mortal heart, while it seemed like a weakness when she was mortal has turned out to be something that has saved them in some situations. Talking about actions, not backing it up and everything Reese does after Under the Mountain is backing Mm -hmm. up his feelings, like his actions Mm -hmm. are backing up his feelings because he was 
gonna let her marry Tamlin. If she yes. hadn't freaked out, he was thinking she's happy. I'm not gonna interfere as long as mm-hmm. she's happy. I'm okay. He wasn't, but that's okay. Yeah. Um. So he even from the moment that he knew he was uh-huh. ready to just live let her live her life and be happy even if it hurt him and mm-hmm. <laughs> yes and tamlin can't <laughs> won't won't acknowledge like won't give her up at all doesn't see that he's i mean kind of acknowledges that maybe what he did was wrong but still she writes him a letter saying like i don't want to be with you and he's still like losing his mind trying to get her back acting yes cold. i know she writes a letter being like, I'm fine. Don't come looking for me. And what does he do? Sends mm. Lucian out. <laughs> Good. Yes, let's talk about that. Let's then- talk about <laughs> Lucian and this scene. So she and Reese are training. Mm-hmm. Right. And Lucian shows up and mm-hmm. is like, there you are. We've been hunting you. So mm-hmm. let's point that out. He uses yes. the term hunting, not uh-huh. looking for. No hunting yep. and he's like you have to come back with me the spring courts it's a disaster and she's realizing that as he's getting closer he's gonna try to touch her and mm-hmm. win away with her so she's trying to avoid him oh it's such a good scene yes it is so she manages to winnow away mm-hmm. and throw wings yes girl yes love 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 this scene oh man Yes. And it has one of my favorite quotes. When you spend so long trapped in darkness, Lucian, you find that the darkness begins to stare back. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And it's just. It's so great. So this whole scene, she, so she has a really great, great confrontation with Lucian in this scene too. So she's like, I was dying and you saw it happening and you did nothing to help me like these these moments that were so frustrating that we talked about in the last uh in the last podcast where it's like she's dying she's wasting away no one's doing anything to help her she finally gets her moment where she can be like you did nothing to help me you did nothing to support me you saw what was happening and he's like oh but things were just so bad at the time and we needed to present a united front which is crap and she's like no i'm not going back with you you did nothing to help me do not come and get me again. Like, go away. I'm not going to be the High Lord's pet, which is, I mean, she gets referred to as a pet a lot. And it, um, that goes back to being like a, a courtesan or consort, I guess, and not being the high lady that she 100% is. Mm-hmm. <sighs> She's so empowered in this scene. And it like, oh, I just get so excited. Me too. I, I love it. Mm-hmm also really cool because we get to see Feyre and master well not master but uh use one of the the powers that tamlin gave her right so yeah. the shape-shifting power is tamlin's power scene between her and riz they're exchanging the magic for answers so yes. he burns the forest uh, mm-hmm. right i think it happens it must happen almost right before this it does yeah so she like just basically got all of her powers mm-hmm. and this is another one of my favorite moments or favorite quotes the power did not belong to the high lords not any longer it belonged to me as i belonged only to me as my future was mine to decide to mm-hmm. forge love it love Sarah. just yes. she's so great so yeah 
And this is so different from where she was in the first half of our book. So we see Feyre beaten down, just trying to survive versus this Feyre who's like awesome and yes. taking control of her powers and not being held back by Tamlin and being supported by Reese, who's like, let's train your powers. Like we'll, I'll give you answers if you show me what you can do. And it's so great. He just supports her so well. <sighs> so after they get back from the summer court, they get these rubies, mm -hmm. blood rubies, right? Declaring that they have it hit out on them, basically. Mm -hmm. And Reese is sad about it. So he's having a moment Mm -hmm. and being all depressed and Farah seeks him out and starts trying to flirt with him mm -hmm. to pull him out of this funk just like how he used to do with her mm -hmm. so we see this role reversal there yeah and also that she's I don't think in the beginning of the book if that had happened I don't think she would have tried it no so we see this also relationship developing now she cares and she's like I want you to feel better I want to be mm -hmm. the one to make you feel better yeah flirt with me i'll flirt with you and then it does work yeah it, it does he feels mm -hmm. better but that that is a concept that comes up between them a lot like i want you to play with me and right up until the end like play with me play with me they have this back and forth mm -hmm. often with the, with their flirty little notes and yes i love yeah, their flirty notes mm -hmm. they're so cute and then i think it's that scene too where she jokes about going to a lingerie store mm -hmm. and he then pushes thoughts yeah um, and she walks <laughs> into a wall yes <laughs> <laughs> it's great yes when you're when someone else's imagination gets away from you yeah mm -hmm. that's that was a really good scene too that was also so what i like about that so when they get the blood ruby scene um, or the, with the blood rubies when they get those. Um, we find out that Varian from Summer Court, who was super flirty sometimes with Amran, has also sent her a, like a, a diamond necklace with great big rubies in it. And she says he sent it to soften the blow of the blood rubies, which is really hysterical. And then she says, uh, Yes. So Amarin says to Feyre about Varian sending her the, the ruby necklace. The prick can't decide if he hates me or wants me, which is absolutely hysterical because like nobody has the audacity to be attracted to Amarin. <laughs> like everyone perceives her as being super scary, intimidating and frightening. Even like the court of dreams her friends they're all like kind of caught like tiptoe around her a little bit and then Varian is like do I hate you do I want you I think that's so funny <laughs> like who has the balls to flirt with <laughs> Amron? <laughs> yes also when I picture her I can't help it I picture like the scientist woman from the Incredibles and oh I know my god me too I know that she's not like she's young and beautiful and nothing like that that character but I just see her every time I picture Amrin. <laughs> that's exactly what I picture Marissa that's the exact same thing I picture <laughs> in the first part of the book we see Reese uh helping Feyre in some in some parts with the nightmares that she's having 
And in the second part of the book, again, we go back to kind of that role reversal that we just talked about where before Reese was flirting with Farah to get her out of her some of her depressed moments. And now Farah is flirting, flirting with Reese. Well, where Reese was helping Farah with her nightmares, now Farah is helping Reese. So Reese has a nightmare. Um, but I think Farah describes it as like this cloud of darkness, like the whole house shaking and this cloud of darkness coming into her. Like she opens the doors and there's a cloud of darkness in the hallway. And so she goes and finds Reese. Um, and she's able to use her you know, like calls to like that situation to help reach him. Um, and it's so, it's nice to see her be able to return the support that he gave to her. I think this is, those are like the moments where we start to, Farah starts to accept maybe that there's some attraction and some bond between them, even though like she's not consciously aware at this point that they are, mates um, she she's she sees these moments and she's able to offer him support and then oh go ahead were you about to say something yeah so I was gonna say I think it's in this part too she follows like the bond mm-hmm. to find him and I she's assuming that it's the uh, bargain bond that they made you know mm-hmm. that he has to take her but I'm wondering if it's also the mating bond that she's able to tug at Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. yeah, even though it hasn't like, well, Reese is aware of it. She's mm-hmm. not, but yeah, they definitely have that. So maybe so. Reese, while Reese is having the nightmare, Fair sees that he's got tattoos that are printed on his knees, printed, tattooed on his knees, and they're of a towering mountain crowned by three stars. And so the next day she asks him, like, what are these tattoos about? And he says, that they mean I will bow before no one and nothing before my crown. But this ends up coming up really nicely later on in the book when Farah and Reese come together uh, in the cabin and she accepts their relationship as mates and he gets on his knees before her. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's gotten on his knees before her in another situation too, which I think is, I mean. Yes. Cause he pointed that out. That was right before the weaver and he's mm-hmm. flirting with her. Yeah. But that's when he says, Oh, did you like seeing me on my knees in front mm-hmm. of you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that's really nice. Um, because we start to see he'll, he'll bow before no one before his crown, but also before his mate too. So he'll put his mate first as well. So we come to Ninsar or Starfall, which is one of the major, like it's celebrated everywhere, but it's a major holiday for the night court. And it's a really special moment this year because Reese hasn't been able to celebrate it with his chosen family for the last 50 years. And so this is the first time that he's getting to spend it with his family. And it's, it's really, it's sweet, but it's also sad. So we find out that, Amarantha knew that this was a special holiday for them. And so when Ninsar came around, she forced Reese to service her basically for the entire night. Um, She tended to put him in positions that made him be submissive to her, which is unfortunate. So he's 
able to spend this holiday with his family again, but he, we see moments where he's like separating himself from his friends because it's, it's still hard. You know, he spent the last 50 years on this one day being forced into having sex with a monster. And so Farah uh, comes with him and is able to offer him comfort, which is really sweet. They dance with each other and she dances with his friends and he goes, she invites him like, let's go and let's go and see your friends. Let's let your friends spend this time with you. Yes. There's, he says that he doesn't want to burden them Mm -hmm. with it. And she says, I don't think it would. Mm -hmm. She tells him, I don't think it would. If anything, they'd be happy to help you. Mm -hmm. And they also have that moment. I imagine them standing on a balcony. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they are, but she gets hit in the face with a star. Yeah. So those falling things. And so does he, but she laughs mm-hmm. and they have this really sweet moment where he says, I love that sound and I love your laugh and I love the smile on your face. Mm-hmm. So after Starfall, they need to go to the Court of Nightmares mm-hmm. and we find out why Moore hates the Court of Nightmares so much. So her father is down there mm-hmm. and she doesn't have a great history with her family. So what happened was that they tried to wed her to the eldest autumn court son. So one of Lucian's brothers who is horrible. She didn't want to do it. So she instead decides to quote unquote ruin herself in order to escape her family. So she has sex with Cassian, who is a bastard. So it's those two combined things that makes her family furious. And they beat her up and then nail a note to her, like her body, Mm -hmm. and dump her, I think, outside the autumn court, Mm -hmm. right? Basically saying, she's your problem now. Mm-hmm. And Reese and Cassian and Azriel, they all find her and take her in. So it was horrible, but it she became strong. She found friends and got to choose her family, basically, mm-hmm. is what happened. So she still struggles, obviously, with going to the night court um, because, or the court of nightmares, because she has to see her father and her family there. Mm-hmm. But she manages to do it, and she does it from even a position where she's, I feel like she's higher than them. She is, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like they're the person that presides over the night, the court of nightmares when Reese isn't present. And I think her dad acts as like the steward. Right. And so she took this massive risk so that she could have her freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's another theme that we see here a lot, risking everything so you can have your freedom whether it's freeing, you know, all of Prithian from Amaranth, the Thera being trapped and needing to be free, doing what, you know, she has to run or has to be taken. We see it come up a lot, this freedom. Um, And we pull it over into more as well. She wanted to be free. She did every, she risked everything for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thera and Reese end up at an inn. And it's at this time that Farah kind of reconciles that she does have some sort of feelings toward Reese. 
in that she's okay with sort of having friends with benefits type relationship. So they have to share a bed together and Reese asks her what she wants. And she tells him she wants something fun, a distraction. So even though she doesn't actually mean that, and we know she doesn't mean that, he doesn't know that. So they have a great moment where he pleases her. And the issue with it, though, is this whole fun distraction thing. So Reese even says it later about how that did hurt him. Mm -hmm. He said, should I just take whatever you can give me? Mm-hmm. But to think about it a little more, how much it also should, could have hurt him because that's what Amarantha had used him for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Just a play thing, basically. Yeah. So it was something that was so meaningful to him to get to touch her and her acting like it was just something fun and a distraction and not meaningful. It's sad. But so the end scene is their first real sexual encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Together. It is. And it's super hot too. She, so uh, Reese is able to uh, bring Feyre to climax and she turns around and tries to return the favor. And he's like, no, no. When you, he says like, when you lick me, I, <laughs> I want to be somewhere where we don't have to modulate our voices. Basically. He also says something about her being a feast. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He wants her spread out on a table like a feast. Yes. Yeah. Oof. Okay. So when they are on their way back from the inn, he's flying. So he's holding her. And all of a sudden, he, he gets shot with a whole bunch of arrows and they're poisoned. So he starts falling. They start falling. Now, this is another one of those moments where we get to see Feyre master her abilities more because she manages to think through enough to slow herself down so that when she lands, she doesn't die. And we also see her then track Reese, right? Mm -hmm. Not only by scent and by blood and all that, but she thinks it through. You know, she's not panicking. Oh my God, where is he? She thinks, okay, if they were trying to trick her, where they would take her because they were obviously trying to lure her one way and she picked the right way to where he actually was right so she finds him in a cave right chained Mm -hmm. up and he's spread out she murders all of them Mm -hmm. everyone who's hurt him she gets him out of the chains and takes him to a more secluded cave i guess to heal him. So he's not healing super well because he's been poisoned. So she needs to find out how to help him. She catches the cereal and the cereal tells her, use your blood because you have from the day court healing blood. And she's like, okay. And then the cereal just casually lets it slip that uh reese is her mate and she's like Mm. oh feed him your blood and your mate will be okay and she's like excuse me and he goes oh you didn't know how weird (laughs) (laughs) come on (laughs) so 
<laughs> she's, she's real mad. <laughs> the serial knows everything, so he would have known she didn't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, surely he's just out there in the woods like <laughs> playing yeah, a magic little matchmaker like oh you didn't know this really <laughs> <laughs> so Thera heals Reese to the point enough where he can winnow them back to the camp and she just leaves him in mud she's just like by and drops him basically <laughs> in mud and it's like goes to more and it's, get me out of here mm-hmm. and poor Reese though he keeps trying to get up and be like no wait talk to me she's yeah. just like no no that's not gonna happen and although she brings this up later how she had like just said something about like I'll never run from you mm-hmm. and then she's like what get yeah. me away from you yeah and does exactly that. So that's one of my, my just one of my favorite scenes. The surreal mm-hmm. being like, oh, you, you didn't know? Oh. It's like a nosy grandma. Yeah. <laughs> she just dumps him in the mud. It's great. I love that scene too. I think it's, yeah. a, and I do think, I, I think she was justified in leaving him in the mud because he's known, like he's known it. His friends have known it. Everyone knows about it, but she doesn't. Yes. I, yeah. He- like everybody knew. So Feyre leaves Reese into the mud, begs uh, Moore to take her away. So Moore takes her to this magic cabin that they used to stay in when they got in trouble and leaves her there with all of the supplies that she needs. And while Feyre is there, she has time to process her emotions uh, related to Reese. And she comes to realize that she does, even though his approach for explaining for her discovering that they are mates was not the best. Like she does actually love him and she realizes that all of the things that he's done he's done have been to support her and uh, in this time she starts going back to painting again which is the first time that she's been able to paint since she was under the mountain which is epic for her so that thing that soothed her soul before she's able to do again and um after about five days in the cabin, she she realizes that she's ready to talk to Reese again. She's ready to share her feelings. And so she's about to like go and or someone knocks on the door and she thinks it's more coming to check on her and she opens the door and who is it? It's Reese. And he's like, I was just coming to check on ya. Um, and so they have this really sweet moment and she invites him in. And she offers him food, which is a really special thing for people in their culture. So that's part of this like mating ceremony that they have when um, a female is signifying that she wants to accept someone as their mate. She, he says that they offer their mate food uh, as a symbol. So Farah offers Reese food and he starts this super long touching monologue where he explains why he was waiting to tell her that they were mates he didn't want to scare her or make her uncomfortable and if she was in love with tamlin like he was just gonna make that sacrifice for himself for her to marry tamlin if that was what it was going to take for her to be happy we learned that he had these dreams about pharah like so he walks away from her after meeting her for the first time and it's painful and difficult 
but he says he tried to turn it like twist around in himself to give it a positive view maybe the cauldron had been kind and not cruel for letting me see you just once a gift for what i was enduring it's just the whole thing is so sweet and so touching and so mm-hmm. heartbreaking yeah and it, we have a better understanding of his horror when he sees her Mm-hmm. under the mountain you know he's taking comfort in the fact that you know he made his presence known to Tamlin to try to scare Tamlin to get Farah out of the spring court to get her out of the danger with Amarantha and then she shows back up under the mountain and the horror that he feels because this person he's been dreaming of and at, at that point he's not quite realized that she's his mate but she's this per like this person that the cauldron has brought to him and now she's in exactly the place that he didn't want her to be and he sought her out on Callan May because he was still getting these dreams about her he, she was getting dreams about her being in the spring court and so he knew she would have to be around there somewhere so that night when they meet in the first book in Callan May it's because it was intentional it was him and so that gives new meaning to that phrase like Oh, I found you, which Vicki, that's one of your favorite quotes. We couldn't use that in the first podcast, but that's one of your favorite quotes, right? Yes. There you are. I've been looking for you. Thank you for finding her for me. This, his speech gives so much greater understanding and context to like all of his actions (laughs) in the first book up to this point in the second book, it just brings it all together so one of the scenes there too is he says you got my wings all dirty Mm -hmm. and she so they have a cute bath scene where she's cleaning his wings for him Mm -hmm. and stuff that's a really sweet moment and again it brings it back to his vulnerability how comfortable he is he turns his back to her with his wings out Mm -hmm. and is giving her complete control Mm -hmm. over them yeah. yeah and another part in so in there night of consummating their relationship there's another sex scene where uh uh, reese chooses to um end with farah being on top of him which is again a really vulnerable position for him because that's the positioning that uh, amarantha would basically force him to be in to uh what make him submissive to her basically and so for him to be that vulnerable to accept that position with Farah is so symbolic of just how he feels about her and the trust that he has in her and their relationship and with the trust that he has and his sense of personal safety and comfort with her. It's so nice for us to see that for him. Mm-hmm. And I think Farah says something along the lines of replacing the bad memories with Mm-hmm. good ones and it's just that healing that they're going through together yeah and I also love how Reese is not toxic at all like, he cries <laughs> I know that sounds yes he's oh. comfortable with his feelings yes he, yes he cries yeah and I, I love that because men can have feelings yeah have their feelings you know yes and it does 
I know we keep going. I know that I, I keep taking it back to Tamlin and how different they are, but you know, anytime Tamlin was going to ha- was having an emotional response in the beginning of the book, he would turn into his beast form and like stay hyper vigilant. Like there was no acknowledgement of his emotions. He didn't want to talk about his feelings with Feyre. And that's so much in contrast to Reese and his vulnerability with his feelings. So one thing I actually want to touch on, how awesome would it be to have a house that like automatically cleaned up after you? Because yes. they're rolling around in all this paint and they get paint everywhere, like on the bed, just everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment where I am so glad that <laughs> Mass put stuff like this in because I know it's something that would have been bugging me. Mm-hmm. She says that the magic of the house cleaned it all up. <laughs> and I'm just glad because I know if she hadn't put that in there, I'd be reading this and going but what about all the paint? It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be such a mess later. <laughs> it's just never going to come out of these sheets. We're just going to have to get new ones. <laughs> I know that's horrible. For some reason, that's why my, my mind works. So I'm so happy that she put that in there. I we, was- can- <laughs> we find out that the letter that Reese wrote to the mortal queens to get them to meet wasn't like a plea for them to help save the world or whatever. It was like a love letter um, declaring that he loved Feyre and he wanted to use the book to build a better world for her, for the people that she came from. And it's so sweet. And this happened way before they declared their relationship, like feelings towards each other. He sent that letter a long time ago. And he was, again, so willing to do anything for her and fight for her and mm-hmm. everything's for her. I mean, that's not 100% true, but a lot of it is for her. Mm-hmm. There's an attack on Valeris. The queens betray them. This scene is horrible, but also great. So Cassian tells Farah to run back to the house and lock herself up. And she, she, does, she starts heading in that direction. And then she comes across, you know, the rainbow in the artist district. And she's like, oh, no, I got to fight. If I can fight, I can. And I can I can save people. What, what mm-hmm. am I doing? Right. And so this is another huge moment for her where there's she's using all of her power. She's now this person who will stand up. And she says her people at that time, too. So it's this accepting mm-hmm. moment or acceptance that she's making her power, her people, her home. She's solidifying everything. She's making decisions, maybe even not necessarily knowingly about where she wants to be. And so, and she shows complete mastery over her skills, including winnowing. Mm -hmm. And this one, which we know she's had trouble with before, but she managed to winnow like, right on top of the adder mm-hmm. like just stabs him repeatedly it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah and she uses water so she takes the water and she turns them into wolves that are attacking and again i think this is a great symbolic moment too because when the attackers then they take to the skies because they have wings she says that her wolves grow wings and they grow talons to chase them down from the sky. Mm-hmm. And it's her, like 
So we go back to this wolf. It all started with a wolf, right? right? Yes. It starts with a wolf. Then with the weaver, she determines she's going to be the wolf. Mm-hmm. Imagery keeps popping up. And so now we're here where what she creates in order to protect her, to protect her people is, are these wolves, these water wolves, mm-hmm. I guess. And they're like her in that they adapt and they change in order to fight as well. And oh, I love that. It's so great. I love the like imagery of that too, of this idea of these wolves made of water. I just like mm-hmm. the like, idea of that. And also she manages to use them to drown them mm-hmm. as well. So not, and we get to see Amarin use power. She was projecting like images into their minds to freak them out. Mm-hmm. So like if they were flying or falling, it would, um, what was it? She would make them think they were further up and diving only mm-hmm. to reveal that they were just like smack right into the pavement. Mm-hmm. And that she she basically killed some of them with fear too. Mm-hmm. She showed them like their worst images and killed mm-hmm. them with fear. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we still don't know what Amran really is. And mm-hmm. we haven't seen too much of her power. We know she drinks blood. We know she's really, really old. We know she can use magic at some level. Yes. Oh, also that happens in that scene is that Reese is looking for her, right? And he's like screaming for her, like where, are, like internally, like he's trying to communicate with her, but she puts up her shields, right? Mm-hmm. Like completely. And after the end of the battle, he says to her, like, you shut me out completely. And she apologizes and he's like, what? No, I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. Like completely shut me out. I'm sure he was terrified because, you know, right where's his mate that he finally is made official with like Mm -hmm. that sort of thing but even with that i'm sure you know he's she scared him but he's still impressed with this there's no well don't ever shut me out again (laughs) right (laughs) sort of thing it's i'm impressed you were able to do that Mm -hmm. reese after the attack on valeris our friends in the court of dreams decide to Amarin has uh, discovered a spell to use the Book of Breathing, so they decide to try to stop the war before they can get the, it can get started, basically. So they plan to go to Hybern and to use the spell to dismantle the cauldron. Um, and they go, and almost immediately things fall apart. And so uh, Azriel is injured people are captured they're held in um the within the magic of the king of highburn jurian makes his appearance the king of highburn has basically got everybody's magic under control at this point and he reveals one more terrible awful thing so the mortal queens stroll out in their awfulness and um the King of Hybern announces that he's going to use the cauldron to make them immortal. That was part of the arrangement they made with him. But to make sure that it works, they're going to use some human subjects to to verify this. And so we find out that Iante has basic has betrayed Feyre's sisters to the King of Hybern, and they're to be our human subjects. And it is just awful. Feyre is so so devastated. Um, her sisters, like, it's, this is the worst possible thing that could happen to them. Um, Elaine is weeping. Nesta is furious. And I, so 
Elaine goes into the cauldron and it's really terrible. Nesta's losing it. And then they make Nesta go into the cauldron and the imagery of her. So most of the time, Nesta's stone cold nature is really frustrating to me. But in this scene, it is so epic just because I can see like that the imagery in my mind is so perfect. But she goes into the cauldron and she's like, visible hatred on her face and fighting it every chance that she gets and she's got her finger pointed out and she's got fury in her face and she's pointing it at, at the king of hybern and it says that even the king of hybern looks disturbed by nesta and i i just love that she's got so much fire in her you know and so and then when she comes out it's like it looks like she took more from the cauldron than it was willing to give up. And, and, oh, it's an awful scene. And I'm so like, I feel so much fury about Yante's betrayal and Tamlin's stupidity. But that moment with Nesta is one of my favorite Nesta moments in this whole book. Just Tamlin. And then Tamlin thinking he has something to say, this wasn't part of our deal. First off, like, is not like one of the main things with Faye to not make a deal with Faye? Yeah. <laughs> like, Tamlin. You what? should know better. <laughs> like, why? Uh, and at least Lucian was like somewhat disturbed by this entire thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's still awful, but he's disturbed like from start to finish with all mm-hmm. of this, I feel like. Yes. And I just... But Tamlin, this wasn't part of our deal. All right. <laughs> Sorry, it just pissed me off. Yeah. Thinking he could do something. Like, mm-hmm. uh. Tamlin is unhinged, you know? I think that speaks to, like, how desperate and not, not thinking straight, not thinking things through he has become in his desperation to get Feyre back, which is a really... <sighs> A really dangerous type of love. Mm-hmm. So we see that the book has managed to block like all of their magic, but Farah manages to beat the magic, the spell, sort of. So she, because she was made, she uses that. Her magic is different than all the other magic, so she finds a way around the spell to actually use magic and I love this because it brings it back to her being different but different also being not being a bad thing in this case it's making her strong which is something we see turn up in the book like all of the inner circle there's something different about them they were outcasts they were rejects and they're different but their differences also make them strong Mm -hmm. so that's awesome and then of course she uses the magic, sends a bright light, and pretends that Reese had enslaved her and tricked her. And she ends up getting taken back to the spring court. But I love before that, she says that she will take, she threatens Tamlin, right? Mm -hmm. Saying she'll take him down from the inside. Yes. Or I will destroy you. I will, I will destroy your court. Yeah, and it's at this time they also reveal that uh, the night before the adventures in Highburn, they went to a temple and had Feyre made the high lady of the night court. So she's like equivalent to rule in the same position as Reese's. Yes. And 
I'm not sure if this falls under the category of irony, but she gets taken to the spring court where she was originally told that was something that wasn't done, like, mm-hmm. basically the day after it was done. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't know if that falls under irony. I don't know what irony means anymore. Morissette <laughs> ruined it for me. Right? <laughs> she ruined an entire generation of people yes. for that understanding of that word. <laughs> yes. No idea what it means. <laughs> so <laughs> just it's horrible. But she ends up back where she began at mm-hmm. you know, the beginning of this book. Mm-hmm. And it ends on that massive cliffhanger. Yes. Which means we're ending our podcast on the massive cliffhanger as well. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us for part two of A Court of Mist and Fury. We appreciate your time. If you have questions or comments, you can reach out to us on social media. Also, we have email, so you can email us. Um, and, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.